And we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we have some um, exciting news to begin with before we jump into our main topic of discussion. Oh, yeah. Um, as you know, we held a little book giveaway, I think two episodes ago, where we had Brian come on to his show to talk about science communication. He actually wrote a new book recently. Um, so thank you everyone who participated in submitting your topic ideas um, into our drawing. And we have a winner picked. Yes. So um, we're not going to disclose uh, the name, but the winner yes. uh, has gotten the book. So yep. uh, it, it has been uh, a great experience for us to have a, a little interactions with our uh, listeners. So Definitely. thanks for all of your support. And, Thank you um, for all the topic ideas. Yeah, and uh, as a um, sort of an honor, we would uh, we, we would uh, uh, announce some of the topics from the winner uh, just to share with everybody or seriously considering bring these topics on the pod. Um, so the winner suggested uh, ghost kitchens. So to, to, for us to talk about how the blooming of ghost kitchen and um, 3D printed foods. Um, so I, I might have more to say about it uh, yeah. down the road. <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so and, and some other interesting topics uh, that the winner suggested will be uh, things like how celebrity chefs are moving into the uh, uh, consumer packaged good industry. Uh, uh -huh. So we've seen we've seen more, you know, type ready to eat type of celebrity branded celebrity chef Definitely. branded foods. Yeah. And, um, you know, is that a, a sellout or that's actually a, a innovator type of move? Uh, we shall see. And, um, you know, actually, there are also uh, these type of influencer economy in uh, I think in China. Uh, for, for their internet economy is driven uh, a lot by influencers and, you know, celebrity chefs are definitely part of that. So sure. uh, we might go into those topics too. So stay tuned. Yeah, a lot of exciting topics um, that was submitted by our winner. So thank you for mm -hmm. that. Cool. And for, yeah, love it. We might do another one in the future. Um, and we love hearing from our listeners on what they enjoy and what they want to hear more about. Um, mm -hmm. So this was definitely a good thing. Yeah. We're going to get more perks onto the pod. Yes. If you have for any sure, perks, sure. hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> Are you becoming those like YouTubers? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't have a code We're to like, sign up yet. <laughs> oh, I was, you know, if you use my code, you get 30% off. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, know. We're this, not is there totally, yet. this is totally not for profit. Uh, yeah, this is not, yeah, we're sweats. not in here for the money. We're in here just to talk about what we are passionate about. But if someone wants to send me like a free case of, I don't know, mac and cheese, I am totally down. Okay. <laughs> just saying. Cool. Uh, yeah, so to follow up um, from our last episode about sustainability, actually, we got a listener suggestion, uh, more like a comment, actually, to the last episode about the differences um, or, or the two uh, parallel concepts of uh, sustainability versus uh, circularity. Um, so sustainability, um, which probably more people are familiar with, kind of has this umbrella term. Uh, we can think of that as like a capital S, 
um, sustainability, uh, which is everything that we know of, right? So to build right. a sustainable system and to uh, basically to sustain is the objective of sustainability. Right, right. And this intersection between people, the planet, and the economy in contributing towards that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very systematic um, right. concept. Right. And circularity, it's more, uh, it's like a specific term that's actually to describe uh, in the last episode how we were referring as designing something to be right the first time or to designing a system that uh, can be recycled and to be reused, basically fitting to the sustainability concept to, uh, yeah. to begin with. Right. right. So I guess circularity is kind of very focused on resource cycles and how that resource moves throughout its entire life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way yeah. that I found was helpful for me to understand the term is I'm sure a lot of us have heard of circular economy before. And how that compares with sort of, quote unquote, the traditional economy, right? Mm-hmm. Where the traditional economy, someone would make a product, sell a product, someone would buy that product and then dispose of that product, right? That is the traditional economy as we know of it. In terms yeah, it's of very linear. And, you know, sometimes services. It's very linear. And I guess a circular economy is focused on, you know, well, someone makes something and someone buys something, but do you really have to buy or can you borrow? And the ones who buy something, do you really have to dispose of it or is there another way to reuse it? So it's not a linear chain anymore. And I guess when we're talking about circularity, a lot of times within food, we're talking about also circular design. So all, mm-hmm. basically how all of that fits as well. Um with a circular economy yeah allowing that to happen so yeah we came up with this topic again uh kind of as a follow-up to the last episode um, because we want to kind of separate the sustainability topics which are uh according to our last episode we also suggested that a lot of them are corrective actions right to improve current systems and to build something that fit into the sustainability concept um, but for circularity, we're kind of starting from scratch. So um, that definitely involves design. And, uh, you know, Amanda and I really love to talk about designs. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly it's Ben, but he influences me. <laughs> right. But, but like, uh, totally, totally we're down to talk about designs. So, yeah. um, like, you know more about Patagonia than I do, right? That's That's mm-hmm. kind of a circular economy example or... More of a, right, right. Uh-huh. I guess when you think about, you know, Patagonia is sort of an outdoor brand. They make apparel, tents, camping gear, everything, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about Patagonia apparel, if you think about the traditional apparel company, they just want to sell you more of what they already have, right? The idea yeah. behind Patagonia is um, the founders of Patagonia are people who are, you know, pretty eco-friendly very into the whole sustainability concept so compared to some of the other companies on the market i think what they're trying to do with several of their programs um, can reflect that for instance they have a program called worn wear which is essentially people um you know can give give or sell i guess their old patagonia clothing back to patagonia and they will repair it fix it and then basically sell it again as secondhand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, ideally, right, the ideal concept is just don't buy it if you don't need it. But if you were to buy it, buying secondhand 
it's pretty, you know, like yeah. you're saving something from going to the landfill. Well, especially um, so, something that's manufactured refurbished. Right, right. Because if you think about it, for a lot of fast fashion companies, sometimes it's actually easier. Like if you buy something and you don't like it, or it's the wrong size and you return it, sometimes it's actually easier for them to straight up dispose of it than to um, take that product back, restock it, categorize it, and everything. So Patagonia totally. is kind of going in that opposite direction with like, we'll take your old gear back, we'll fix it, we'll、mm-hmm. test it, we'll make sure it's okay, and then we'll resell it. Right. So this is. Really, a circular、um, cycle instead、right. of something that's completely linear. And、right. actually, for for clothing,、uh, we we don't know too much about clothing, but just consumer experience wise, I had to、uh, throw away、uh, or you know, quote unquote, donate.、Uh, but I I really don't know where those things end up. Right. Right. So, right.、Um, when I moved from the U.S. Um, I was just cleaning out my closet, trying to downsize as much as I can. So a lot of the quote-unquote things to get get、um, get rid of are,、um, you know, clothing or apparel type of things. And I really don't know where to, because、um, you don't, because when I think of trash, right, like you throw or food, you kind of throw throwing them away as a linear stream. Right, you、mm-hmm. just kind of generate a bunch of food waste, food scraps. You you kind of throw them away.、Um, but for clothes, like you you just at least for me, whenever you, I'm doing a big cleanup, that's when time the time comes and I I have to get rid of a significant chunk of stuff, and that doesn't make me feel good because it's just visually more disturbing that you know、yeah. these things are 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 gonna essentially go into waste or or、mm-hmm. most of them will be yeah right right. So that's an example of circularity, right? So, so they're thinking of、uh, well, first to begin with, their clothing it's I think is a little bit more expensive, or、um, they're designed to be repaired, right?、Mm-hmm. So as opposed to some fast fashion brands where、um, things come and go,、um, they they are focusing is about there's a there's a pretty high chance that this thing will be wear for a long time. Right, right. And we're gonna design a product for that purpose. I guess like the difference is when it comes to food. A lot of times, what we consume, you know, we buy a packet of chips, we eat the chips, right? It's not、mm-hmm. like a jacket where you'll reuse it, and、um, that food either goes into your stomach, tummy, not stomach. <laughs> I mix up stomach and tummy.、Yeah. Um, goes into your stomach, or it goes into the landfill. And it's pretty straightforward. So I think when it comes to food, and when we talk about circular design, a lot of it might be in the packaging or the distribution cycle or the whole system of how food is grown, shipped, distributed, rather than like the specific food. Right, 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 right. So I mean, there are some aspects like sourcing the ingredient、uh, could be from a、um, quote unquote circular source. Mm-hmm. Um, right, so it could we, we, we've seen a lot of novel concepts that、um, you know proteins made out of beer spent brewery waste.、Um, yeah, something else would be like、um, you know whey protein、uh, isolate. Yeah, like whey proteins, like it's like the gold example there. Right. right so, right.、Um, and I think also I think we also mentioned that from the food waste episode, it's about like、mm-hmm. portions, right? Because sometimes.、Yeah. Um, like the large portion from the grocery stores are not fitted for everybody's use, yeah, and that end up with waste and、um, expirations and 
uh, it's essentially the designer or the product developer did not really think of all the type of use cases and the potential audience of that product uh, right. who may not need that much and may generate waste. And that right. would be something that's a very linear thought, right? Just be like, throw something so that's out there. The thing- Right. That's the thing with circular design, right? You have to think about the end user and the system in which your product is entering. Right? Yes, exactly. So thinking exactly. about like the average, I don't know, New Yorker or someone who lives by themselves, they don't need that like 20, I don't know, like five pound bag of carrots because they're not going to be right. able to use all of it. But is there a way for them to, if they can buy not in bulk, right? If they can buy mm-hmm. just a single carrot or two carrots, um, those options will reduce food waste. And also, I think in Japan, where a huge proportion of their population lives alone, their grocery stores reflects that as well because things are packaged in smaller amounts. But then there's the right. issue of like, well, then you're going to use more packaging and more plastic for that same amount of food. So, True. right, it's 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 kind of a it's it's kind of a complex thought process to go through. Yeah, it, it's definitely hard to optimize. But it just, I mean, that's where the challenges is about, right? Because when you're dealing with consumers, you don't just um, sell it to one type of people, right? This right. is how, this is how like food people argue back with the pharmaceutical industry, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like uh, every drug has a very specific purpose to that specific group of people. Um, but for food, like anybody could eat it. And the, yeah. per- the persona is so hard to define. And sometimes we don't spend enough time about thinking of who's going to eat the product rather right, we right. chase for a concept or we do something that's I think, uh, more, that's more a really on the surface interesting law, point. Right. I think when it comes to consumer packaged goods, let's say you're designing like a protein shake, like a protein shake that can be an athlete for an athlete who needs mm-hmm. to, you know, build muscle after a workout that can be for the average consumer who just wants a little bit more plant protein in their diet so there's like defined demographic groups for a lot of cpg goods but when we're talking about bulk produce like carrots or bell peppers or zucchini like the format that we which we sell them in and the package size and i think maybe that's a little bit harder to define but yeah i I mean even a lot of the cpg products it's sure you kind of have a a, a, a target audience target consumer cohort but you know sometimes you just end up selling to like and that and it ends up that a different group of people actually are buying them um, right, right when the product is launched right, right. So, and a lot of times too you have to make a decision because you might want to sell this in three packaging formats but it's going to cost a lot more money and capital mm-hmm. expenditure to buy all those different packaging and you have to figure out your you know your machinery would need different fittings if you have different bottle sizes so i think what happens is we pick a one for all because right. it's what's probably what's most convenient and cheapest um mm-hmm. But but here's the problem, right? Because the the one for all option might cover like eighty percent of the end users, uh, mm-hmm. but because food has such a it's such a daily essential and it's just so much of a volume of everyone gotta eat. <laughs> yeah, so that twenty percent that you didn't cover in your in your intentional intended design would yeah generates a lot of waste already. Right, right? it's not because the designers or developers at first didn't have the good intention. It was mm-hmm. 
part of the issue or the challenge is that it's such a complicated issue that being circular isn't a necessarily easy thing to do. I think it's the awareness easy. is there. I don't think people are designing things to be wasted, right? Right, right. Uh-huh. There's like it being it being wasted is an unintended consequence of right. You know what people are designing for. Um, they're not. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of um, like the industry itself um, kind of have a very good approach to it already, right? Because companies want to use all their resources to make products and make a profit out of it. Right. For instance, just talking about that whey protein isolate example for people who are not familiar with it, you know, back in the days, I don't know how long ago this was, but I think in the eighties or seventies, whey was right and a. a, a a waste, right? So cheese Acid whey. weight, right? Yeah. So when you're making cheese, I think there is um, the runoff. That solution contains a lot of whey, which is actually mm-hmm. a very nutritional source of protein. But people don't really know what to do with it until someone decided, well, you know, we could use it in other stuff. And that yep. whey protein isolate is probably the most valuable fraction of dairy processing. <laughs> yeah, depends on how you sell it, totally. Right, it, t- right. For consumers, it's definitely the most valuable Yeah, think about like, so basically, you know, what Ben said is totally true. As a company, when you're working with such huge volumes of um, raw ingredients, it makes sense for you to try to extract as much economic value out of them. And because you're trying to extract economic value out of them, you also end up (laughs) actually using them for more things instead of just disposing them which is actually good right this is like that that instance where both an economic incentive and a sustainability incentive line up together totally Um, yeah and and, i mean there are more resources research resources dumping into this direction um right because uh, way is like one of the few examples that actually it has been figured out yeah, it's right. like a gold standard for like, what else can yeah. we do to squeeze yeah, right, every right, drop? Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you take milk, you make cheese, you get the whey, you get whey protein out of the whey, and you still can yeah. get lactose out of the the the, 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 the other whey stream. Um, yeah. So, so it's really down to everything from milk. It's used in our uh, food supply chain. Um, right. But if we're thinking about like coffee or beer, uh, these also very high volume products. Uh, mm-hmm. Or even like potato skins, um, the these um the, these other pulps or um, you, you know fruit um, fruits that were squeezed for juice. There's a yeah. there's a word for it, pomace. Um, that Apple, that orange yeah. fruit pomace. Yeah, like there were there there are a lot of efforts going into uh, what can we extract out of it uh, at a larger scale um, to be mm-hmm. uh, circular to be just basically using all the fractions. Um, right, and company has that incentive, right? Because mm-hmm. it, they're they're essentially saving their money or generating more value from right. what they already have. Right. Uh huh. For the average consumer, I think it's a little bit different because if I buy a whole chicken, I what if I only really want the breasts and yeah. the thighs and the legs, and I you know I could make stock from the bones, but it's so much effort. So I think. This is a case where because of that volume of scale at the industrial level, it is, you know, it's great. You know, yeah. we can really try to extract all the value and not let anything go to waste. Totally. And what I like to d- compare this to is in in the olden days where things were a little bit scarce, 
right? Where meat and vegetable and food was not as readily available as it is, I guess, in a lot of um, first world countries today. And I guess this still happens in some of the other parts of the world where, you know, you really need to extract all the value from something you get, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if you hunted an animal, you want to make sure that you're going to use all of it. You're not just going to eat the good parts. Oh, yeah, you know, totally. Yummy right. tasting. You're going to eat all the organs, all the offals, mm-hmm. um, the eyeballs even, right? So that's at the consumer level in, in you know, and, and, and as we become wealthier as a whole, as the whole world moves towards um, modernization where, uh, you know, like some people still enjoy organ meats, but it is not as crucial to the consumer to extract every drop out of what they eat. And right. it's just more convenient to, you know, oh, if I want chicken breast and chicken thighs, I'll just buy that mm-hmm. from you know yeah which is which i mean in the if we're thinking of a a whole food supply chain it is actually a more circular design right already because um like really the economics of scale here makes sense and like the centralized production of food can help us to uh, reduce some of these waste or or, exactly it actually it basically compensates for convenience Right, you're right, right. you're you're essentially using less time. You don't have to cut off the, the chicken thighs and 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 you know come up with ways yeah. to use the rest of the chicken. Um, but but then that is more on the um uh, on the industrial level, right? But mm-hmm. but then we also have this quote unquote challenge of designing food for consumers and applying circular design food products for the consumer directly. And, and that comes in, I think, the most direct way is about um, like food packagings, right? So let's say you have a group product. I think the number one circular design principle in food development is sensory, right? You, you have to get, develop something that's good so people yeah. eat it up. Yeah. That's like, like that's like the first the first product development like key concept is it gotta taste good. No one's yeah, gonna buy right. something that tastes bad, even if it's cheap, even if it's you know the healthiest thing in the world. It has to taste acceptable. Yeah, exactly. At and least, you could source all these sustainable ingredients, but if it tastes bad, like it's still right. not circular. Right. So I think uh, you know a lot of the R and D efforts into turning what is traditionally food waste from the you know the production of food and turning that into something that's value added i think a lot of times um sensory sensory is a big part of it right you gotta make sure it tastes good or find some way to make it taste good even if it's not straight up you know acceptable or palatable totally um, to the average consumer i think that's the most important part here it's that like in order for something to be circular and it to be used up in in yeah. the system, uh, in terms of food, you have to have it taste good, right? Otherwise, especially in the first world countries, like no one's gonna force themselves to to consume it, mm-hmm. or or it would be also from a business standpoint not a circular um, uh, right. approach, right? Because because people would just purchase once and your product right. dies. Exactly, exactly, and I think that's the thing with R and D or a lot of research that goes into valorization of waste products which for for food which is you know a lot of people spend a lot of time on okay well 
let's see if we can, let's see, okay, we have this waste product. What can we use it for? What are the functionalities like? What pH does it work at? Um, how soluble is it, etc. But the sensory comes at a later stage a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Or is I guess like yeah. some people don't deem it as important, but if you want to be able to apply it on a big scale later on, it has to be. I, I mean, that essentially, it's another design problem, right? You can think of it, it's like whoever's designing that valorization process did not really keep their audience or their users in mind because their right. users are not necessarily just the company who are producing this waste or who are mm-hmm. trying to look for use of these waste. Their mm-hmm. audience in a more focused way or more specific um uh, for more specifically defined audience or users would be product developers, right? right? So they have. Well, to- that's one of the one of the users is other product developers. You can technically also sell it to non-food companies, right? Right, or right, right. That's correct. Feed, right, that's but correct. I I see what you mean though. You have to design with the end in mind sometimes for it to be higher acceptability of whatever you make. Right, because most of the time it's not the same department that's dealing with the the issues. Right, you kind of have a thing, have a technology applied to the waste and extracted the valuable sources, and you kind of pass it on to the next mm-hmm. um, department mm-hmm. who would be. It's gonna like okay, it. we'll we'll make this just like acceptable enough, and then we can sell it. <laughs> right, right, right. Because their thresholds are more like an easier threshold. Right, yeah, we could extract eighty. We can recover eighty percent of the protein from this waste source and that's right. good enough i guess like your metrics for success might be different yeah. from the metrics of success for your end user and that's something like that totally. that's the whole concept of circularity which is you have to know your user and you have to you have to know your system so whatever you put your effort into making it would actually be utilized because if it's not then that's a waste <laughs> yeah exactly right. so, so like you <laughs> so spent all that we're going in circles like, at this point <laughs> uh-huh. yeah that's, that's exactly the point of this episode yeah um, and i think that one example that ben you mentioned uh when we were discussing this topic before recording was um intermediate wheatgrass oh yes uh-huh we have a did you work on it? You didn't oh, work I, on it. I know people who worked on it. <laughs> yeah, I know too, but you didn't directly work on this. I, I've never directly worked on it. Uh-huh. But like we can talk about Pam. Like she, yeah. her, her Shout out to worked. Pam. Yeah, Pam so. Baram Ismail from University of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, Our favorite right. professor. <laughs> yes, that's hands down. Like whoever, whoever other professors are listening, I'm sorry, but this one goes yeah. to Pam. I'm sorry, but <laughs> Pam takes the cake. Pam, Pam's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, Pam or Dr. Ishmael, although neither of us call her that, but she runs the yeah. uh, protein plant protein innovation center at University yep. of Minnesota, right? So she. Uh, I think she might still have projects related to intermediate wheatgrass. So that's a, um, what do you call that? Like a perennial? Yeah, so it is a perennial crop. Um, So Uh if you think about wheat, which is used to make your typical flour, wheat is an annual crop. Once you harvest it, you have to replant it the next year. Um, Yeah, when you harvest, you kill the plant, right? Whereas with intermediate wheatgrass, it is a perennial, which means it will grow for many years. Um, yeah, so when you harvest, it's like picking the apple from the tree. Uh, you don't have yeah. to kill the tree to get the apple. Right, right. And I mean, in the past, annual plants or annual crops 
have been mostly um, optimized for our food production because for its high yield, for its um, it basically is a way for us to feed the world back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the environment, right? Because imagine that you have to grow a new baby every time. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. A terrible you example, plant it, but... it grows, it grows yeah. into an adult. It produces seed or fruit, and then it all dies. Everything is happening in one year. That's an annual right. crop, like wheat, right. and that's so, that's the case for a lot of like industrialized crops as well. That's everything essentially, right? In well, terms a, of cor- a, the, crops, a lot of our commod- commodity crops, yeah, yeah, commodity crops. Um, like produce is a slightly different story, but um, you know, uh, wheat, but, rice, corn. Yeah, it's it, it's essentially. Uh, a, a very resourceful process for the environment and especially for our soil, right? Because a lot of uh, studies have suggested that soil um, is actually a uh, not renewable resources in the world, right? It's kind right. of like it's kind of like 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 carbon fossil fuel that mm-hmm. it will just essentially be depleting out uh, from soil our- health is really important, right? Which is yeah. why even when I mean, even when people have land where they grow annual crops, they will often rotate it with a different crop the next year mm-hmm. to maintain the health of their soil so that it doesn't just suck up all of the same nutrients mm-hmm. until your soil is completely depleted. Right. So you kind of know the point here that if you were having a perennial crop, um, you will be able to just harvest the uh, the, the wheat seeds or uh, kernel, whatever you call it, um, mm-hmm. that that. Uh, over years so that put less yeah. stress on the that's i mean that's exactly what circularity is about uh, for mm-hmm. uh, in the context of food production right yeah yeah mm-hmm. like the perennial crops like ben said you don't have to replant them every year you don't have to plow your land every year you don't have to and, and perennials you know from an ecological standpoint too they protect against soil erosion they help mm-hmm. with um, carbon, like sequestering carbon. Um, so overall, it's just something that's really great for the environment, right? But as we know, if it's so great, why is it not in use to that degree yet? Oh, that's a um, great I question. Think, um, right? <laughs> well, because it's still in a very, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd still say it's in an early development phase. I think it's in an right? early development stage. But also, so intermediate wheatgrass is the crop itself. Once you make it into the processed grain, um, people call it kernza. Can you so buy kernza? K-E-R-N-Z-A. I'm not sure if it's on the market, actually. That would be interesting. Uh-huh. But the thing with any grains is, I think about all the things we love, like bread, pasta. All of that is made from wheat. We yeah. know that from the wheat to the end product, we know exactly how to process it to get it to the way we want it to taste. But with intermediate wheatgrass or really any new grain, that is sustainable for the environment that we want to, you know, bring into industry. We have to see, well, are we just going to make a new product out of it and hope people love it? Or can we try to get the functionality to be similar to wheat so we can make all these things that consumers already like? See, this is again, right? Are you trying to do a corrective action using intermediate wheatgrass as a replacement (laughs) or you just want to start another circular system? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Uh Uh-huh. But um, 
I, I think there are some applications in baking, at least back in the days yeah. when we were in the department. That's what those right. projects I remember were there are people who are using intermediate wheatgrass to make flour and then using that to bake bread and seeing, okay, if I make bread using wheat flour versus flour from Kernza, like how much will it rise in the oven? Um, mm-hmm. What are the size of the air bubbles in the bread? So all of those things, you know, considerations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there are more breeding works too, right, to to uh, breed better um, species, subspecies. Yeah, of, yeah. Of a lot of biotech yeah. sort of Because I feel like you can also do it for soybeans. Well, I mean, soybeans is good for the, for the, um, for the environment. Is it? Isn't that nitrogen fixing? Isn't, I actually don't know. And I, I did my so. thesis on soybeans. I should know. Did you do your thesis on soybeans? <laughs> well, I, I did it on rapid detection. I mean, rapid quantification oh, yeah, 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 for protein thesis. and amino acids <laughs> and soybeans. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Soybean is uh, able to fix a lot of the nitrogen it needs through its symbiotic relationship with yes. the rhizobia bacteria. That's the word. So. Yeah. Good job, Ben. Mm-hmm. I think my master's degree should have gone to you I, I instead of to me. I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix the GC, though. Uh. <laughs> yeah, 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 that one I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so circularity in general, I think it's a very, um, it's a novel concept that I think everybody loves. Like, no one would argue that being yeah. not circular is bad. Everyone would right. agree, like, circularity is, like, a good thing for us to move towards. Totally. But, B-U-T. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think I think it's good for people to know this concept and keep it in the back of their mind when they're designing things. Um, mm-hmm. Totally, For yeah. sure, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and this has to be more, like, like we said in the last episode, right? Whatever's developing from the scratch, something is new circularity should be a component in it and it needs right. to be sort of almost an, an a necessity to have um, because of where we are as like humanity is in the environment mm-hmm. right so um, moving forward that's what we should have and of course we're fighting this uh, existing system that is very complicated uh, interconnected um, mm-hmm. So whatever the novelty that we bring to the table with circularity um, needs to be compensated, um, right? It, it it needs to be sorry. It needs to be compromised. Compromised, right? We need to make some or compromises. also like complementary to the current system. It right. can't be too far off where adoption exactly. of whatever we bring in will be difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like you can't be a perfectionist in this. Right. There's no right. perfect way of doing it yet. Right. Um, but, you can have a perfect way, but people just won't adopt it. Exactly. You will die. Or industries <laughs> won't adopt it. So I think right. that's the fine line. Like it has to be something that is better, but mm-hmm. it has to also fit into the system somehow. And the only way if we want to do it completely outside of the system, that requires a paradigm shift in everyone. Yeah, we'll do so it unless next something time big happens. Mars, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if we started off on a different solar system, planet, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Or like an apocalypse happens and it changes the way we make and distribute food. Then I yeah. can see, yeah, circular design becoming a thing. Right, right, right. So so it needs to be somewhat 
more of a concept that we just need to keep in mind with. And it actually yeah. helps to do these type of mental exercise, right? right. To, to think more than, and, and I think this is also could be a behavior thing, right? Because we, if we think enough about circularity in practice, like in daily interactions, it's easier for us to apply it uh, when it comes to something that really matters more. For um, sure. Yeah. For sure. And, and I think that could be going into education. It could be just a thing that we talk more about, mm -hmm. right? To wonder, maybe to just wonder a tiny moment on where those wastes would go. Uh, yeah. Like what would people do after they consume my product? What mm -hmm. would people do when they uh, have this process implemented? What are the... Right. What, what are the arrows that are pointing out from your system, mm -hmm. right? So where are those uh, outing arrows going to go? And that's something, that's something that we should just keep in mind and think of it. Maybe we don't have a solution, but it's something that we at least need to acknowledge. Right. Right. I think that's a really good point. The The mental image you just painted for me in terms of, well, if I throw a can of um, soda into the trash, like, where does that go? Or if I mm -hmm. bought a food product, or if I bought a bag of carrots, and I only ate half of it, where does the other half go? You know, right. if I throw it into exactly. the trash. Or yeah. if I were to put it into like a community compost bin, where would that go instead? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like those sort of mental exercises are helpful because, you know, that's so true. I, I just don't think about it anymore. If I throw something into the bin, I'm like, okay, it's in the bin. I don't yeah, think about right. where it goes after right, that. Right, right. You only think, focus on your what's in your fridge. Right. And I think, you know, for you, Ben, because of the cumulative effect of you being in the Netherlands, you being in an academic community now, and also your roommate being a designer who incorporates circular design into his work, I think that influences you to think about it differently. Yeah, and us making this episode. I think, I think Ray episode, just got a shout out, but whatever. It says, is his name Ray? <laughs> yeah. What's up, Ray? <laughs> Thank um, you for providing the fodder for this uh, podcast episode. All right. All right. So, do you have a food product? Um, uh, actually, um, uh, yes, I I do, I do. Okay, I do too. I'm gonna go grab it from the fridge right now. Okay. I got it from uh, I got it from IKEA. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> cool. All right. Do you have one? Um. Yeah. I kind of I thought about this a little. So we have, um. Do you want to start? Uh, sure. So my product uh, was this blue tube of cream smoke row <laughs> from, you can buy it in Europe quite easily, but it's a little bit hard to find in the US. So I was pleasantly surprised when I found it. But um, the brand is called Kales. It's spelled K-A-L-L-E-S. Pretty sure I butchered the pronunciation, but uh, essentially it is creamed smoked row, row as in R-O-E fish eggs um so yeah it's 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 really good so the way you're supposed to eat it i think is you spread it on toast mm -hmm. or on boiled eggs but i just put it on like just about anything it gives it like a nice oh. tangy fishy salty mm. taste and it's yeah. pretty it's not too expensive either like this nice. whole chew which is 200 grams was like three or four dollars oh that's cheap yeah nice so it's like kind of the sacred sauce that you put on 
your yeah, food. Yeah, you can eat. I, I'm pretty sure you can even make like cod roe pasta from it. Okay. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. I'm still trying mm-hmm. to figure out what else I can do with it. Nice. Yeah, that's my product. Yeah. So um, I have a coffee. Uh, <laughs> of it's course. A, it's a loco. Um, it's a it's a roastery in Amsterdam. It's called Boca B O K. Sorry, B O C C A Boca. Um, so Boca Coffee has a uh, coffee shop in Amsterdam, but they have a, they also is a coffee roastery. So um, I bought some beans from them. So I bought their nice. um, the trademark um, the blend, which is uh, you know more of a, a richer. I think it's medium roast but very rich, uh, has a lot of like caramel type of taste in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. Um, it's it's a pleasant surprise from, you know, getting these type of like specialty coffees in yeah. in, in, uh, in Netherlands and kind of find a few like stable brands that yeah, I can go yeah. to. That you and, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to try more of their, um, their products. And um, so if you happen to be in Amsterdam or you visit the Netherlands, uh, you can look for their shops. I think they're on, they only have one shop, but a lot of the other uh, coffee places or uh, espresso bars use their beans. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, give it a try. If you, you know, when COVID yeah. ends, most of our uh, listeners are in the U.S. So when COVID ends. And you when really COVID want, ends, when you yeah. can travel to Amsterdam, hit up Boca. <laughs> yes. Free advertisement right. from us. Oh, yeah. Look at us. People are not even paying us to do this. We're yeah, just right. Out of love. Right. Out of food love. Out of <laughs> pure passion for food. Okay, cool. So that's a wrap for this episode. That's and a wrap. Yep. You can find us online, uh, listen to our previous episodes. We have the link below. You can contact us at fihpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, give us a five star if you can. Um, you know all the platforms that you can rate us. And, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Till next time. Bye bye.